All right, guys, welcome back to the book of Isaiah. Man, we are in the major prophets. It feels like it's major. <laughs> We're in lesson three. Uh, we've got one painting, an incredible, beautiful painting by Mindy. And, uh, and yet we have a chart over here, Kevin. If you want to go to our chart, we've got a chart of all of these major prophets, minor prophets. We've got the kings, the good kings, the bad kings, the mixed kings. Just like where do they stand with the Lord? And so today... We're really talking about uh, the major prophet Isaiah, okay? Isaiah does an amazing job. Now, in this, okay, Isaiah is given a vision. Now, today I'm super excited. Here we are. We're going to talk through Isaiah 5 and then really hang out in Isaiah 6, Lord willing. And Isaiah 6 really speaks to how Isaiah got involved in all this, okay? That's kind of a cool picture here. But the current situation is not good. Well, eventually, Kevin, what are they pointing to? First coming. He actually talks about the coming of the Messiah. Now, here's where it gets confusing. And it really, you have to hang in there. He then even alludes to what we would call the second coming. Okay. But then what we just talked about yesterday, Kevin, was the millennial. The millennial is a period of time uh, and it's this picture of no fighting. They're not training for war. The animals are getting along with each other. Men and animals aren't hunting each other. Like this is kind of the reality of what we're looking at. And so you see this constant theme of Isaiah releasing the vision that God gave him. Here's what I want you to understand. In all of this, okay, we have one word, which is Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. God is going to be with us in this process. Specifically, though, it's going to take place here in Isaiah 7.14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. This should be your indicators, folks, that the Messiah has come. Emmanuel has come, and it's going to start ushering in all of these prophetic words. And so this is kind of your backdrop. Now, in all of this, the current situation is, is (laughs) uh, I'm going to do this very briefly this time. There's going to be judgment, okay? In chapter 1, it talks about how it's God versus the children of God. And he says, you guys have completely messed up. In chapter two, at the very beginning, he talks about, Kevin, what we have talked about over and over again, the millennial blessing. Uh, but then it goes at the end of 2.5 through 4.1. Kevin, what, what would be the pattern now? Judgment. Judgment. Okay, then yesterday, okay, in 4.2 through 4.6, uh, Kevin, what do we talk about? Millennial blessing. Millennial blessing. What, what would you guess chapter 5 would be about? If I had to guess, I would go judgment. Man, Kevin, genius. All right, so here's what you have. You have judgment, blessing, judgment, blessing, judgment. Yes, that is where we're going to emphasize in judgment in chapter 5, just because we're going to hang out here. I want to paint a little bit of a picture of what that looks like. So, Kevin, if you would, go to Isaiah 5, verse 1. And what you're going to see in the first two verses is there's a song. You're going to sing about judgment. <laughs> judgment song. There's a song about the one I love, a a song about my loved one's vineyard. The one I love had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. Uh, Basically, here's what happens. And then in verse two, though, keep going. The problem is, is that even though we produce fruit, 
it didn't produce the grapes that I wanted. It produced worthless grapes. It produced wild grapes. So God is saying, look, I planted a vineyard. Praise God. I love this vineyard. Wait, that's not the fruit I wanted. And that's the song he begins to see. Uh, I love what Mark Copeland says. The beloved planted a vineyard and he got wild grapes. In verses three through six, here's what happens. <laughs> uh, if you know judgment is coming, the Lord tells Judah and Jerusalem, he's going to go ahead and just get rid of the, the vineyard. <laughs> now, residents of Jerusalem and men of Judah, please judge between me and the vineyard. He says, what more could I have done for my vineyard than I did? Why would I, why when I expected a yield of good grapes, a yield of good grapes, did it yield worthless grapes? Now, I'll tell you, here's what I'm going to do about my own vineyard. I'm going to remove its hedge and it will be consumed. I will tear down its wall and it will be trampled. Uh, that's not very good. In verse six, I'll make it a wasteland. It will not be pruned or weeded. Thorns and briars will grow up. I will also give orders to the clouds. I love this, by the way. That rain should not fall on it. So look, I'm telling you guys, like it's that bad. So Kevin, here's what's crazy. He's beginning to talk about captivity, Right? So in the process, Kevin, I always point to the Assyrian captivity. Ultimately, what Isaiah is talking about is the Babylonian captivity. You guys are going to be in a period of just complete wasteland and you're going to feel worthless. That's the implication that Isaiah is talking. Man, Kevin, if I hear this word, who wants to read this word? I'm, I'm thinking he's lucky he doesn't get strung up or something. So, so here's what he does. Okay. Uh, this is kind of cool. Uh, in verses uh, seven, uh, really just verse seven, he says, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah, the plant he delighted in. He looked for justice, but he saw injustice for righteousness. And then he continues on, but heard cries of wretchedness. He says, look, I, I actually wanted the best for you guys. You just chose something else. What I want to just say, man, we haven't seen a move of God in our lifetime, a national move of God. And I have to wonder sometimes, have we become that wasted vineyard that God intended so much for? And he had so much plans for us, but we'd rather just do our own thing. I don't know. Only the Lord can speak to you about that. But I will tell you, here's what Isaiah does, you guys. Isaiah then gives the woes. He gives out six woes in chapter five that, uh, that I really like. Wearsby kind of jumps in here and I think he does a great job categorizing this. And I wanted to write these down because to me, these could be our wild grapes in our life. Does that make sense? These could be, uh, I should do this, Kevin. These are our grapes. Okay. <laughs> One of the grapes is in verses eight through 10 is covetous, covet, covetousness. That's kind of a problem in some of our society. It happened to the Israelites. Those are some of the wild grapes. Some of the other wild grapes, let's see if I can keep this process up, is uh, drunkenness. Another one of the woes, and I think this is an interesting one, in verses 18 through 19, and people might not be like, what? Carelessness. In verses 18 and 19, what are those who drag wickedness with courts of deceit, pull sin along with cart ropes? Verse 19, to those who say, let him hurry up and do his work quickly so that we can see it. <clears throat> let the plan of the Holy One of Israel take place so that we can know it. In other words, yeah, just whatever mentality. It's an interesting perspective, but clearly Isaiah is dropping in some of these wild, great mentalities. <clears throat> maybe, maybe some of us have as well. Uh, verse 20 in chapter 5 talks about deception being one of those wild grapes. 
Uh, <clears throat> it's kind of interesting. What are those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter? It's just kind of like, yeah, I think I can get away with this. Another one of the wild grapes and something that I've had to really work through in my own life is pride. Verse 21. What are those who are wise in their own opinion and clever in their own sight? <clears throat> All of these, you guys, have led up to bondage. You have to understand this. All of these components in a vineyard that God intended for good, we brought on ourselves because we couldn't let go of our own stuff. And I, I'm going to keep going back to this, you guys. It led to their physical bondage. It totally can lead to our spiritual bondage. A hundred percent. And then finally, just the last component of these wild grapes is uh, injustice. In verses 22 through 25, here you have judgment in chapter 5 comes because of the wild grapes. You know, all I want to just say is this. Clearly, he's talking to the Israelites. Clearly, they have turned away from the Lord. If you had to go to court, and not for salvation issue. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm not talking about like whether or not you'd lose yourself. I'm talking about like if, if you had to ask the Lord in a Holy Spirit court, God, would you just show me things in my life that are wild? Things that I've just let go, uh, I've untamed. I haven't groomed them. I haven't worked on them. In fact, I'm kind of just careless about them. Or, you know, maybe there's something I really just want what somebody else has. Guess that happens all the time. But those things become like uh, weight to us. And it's almost like they have to, they drive us to get to that point. And I follow the NBA and NFL and Major League Baseball like, all the time still. I mean, that was an industry that I was in. I love that industry. I follow the NCAA uh, all the athletic world, I'm telling you guys, in any industry, this is prevalent. Doesn't matter if you're in the insurance business, the hardware business, the factory lines, somewhere in there, Satan is going to try to bring you down so that, you ready for this? That you would think you could become God rather than God, allowing God to be God in your life. I mean, that's what happened to Satan, is that true? A fallen angel wanted more than what he was supposed to have. And eventually God just says... Heck with you guys. I, I don't really need this. Just to wrap up uh, chapter 5 so we can really dig into chapter 6. In verse 24, Kevin, of Isaiah 5, it says, Therefore, as a tongue of the fire consumes straw, and as a dry grass shrivels in the flame, so their roots will become like something rotten, and their blossoms will blow away like dust. For they have rejected the instruction of the Lord of hosts, they, and they have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Man, here's the biggie. You guys, they rejected his word. This is the one that freaks me out. Go into a school. Say, I'd like to read this. You know what they'll tell you? Most of them. Most of them get lost. If you can do it, you have to fit it in a certain time frame. Uh, hey, I'd like to go to my work environment and you know, I'd like to actually have a Bible study here. Some would honor that, just like some schools would honor that. Praise the Lord for those. Please hear me say this. There are always exceptions. to the, There's always the remnant. And isn't that the truth? Isn't that the whole message? Like God needs to raise up a remnant because the majority in the culture in this current context are rejecting the word of the Holy One of Israel. You know this is true when you want to read this on national TV. And they're like, you can't do that. You can't mention the name Yeshua or Jesus on airwaves. 
Like, that's how I know you guys were getting to this point. Like, when you start rejecting that this thing is true, how are we any different than the worthless vineyard that, that Isaiah is talking about in Isaiah 5? They rejected the word, and how did they get to that point? Because of the covetousness, the drunkenness, the carelessness, the deception, the pride, the injustice. And then here's the crazy thing, you guys, in verse uh, 25, keep going. Uh, then the Lord's anger burns against his people. Therefore, he raised his hand against them. He struck them. The mountains quaked. Like it's already happened. Their corpses were like garbage in the streets and all this. His anger is not removed and his hand is still raised to strike. That little phrase, his hand is still raised to strike. It's kind of like God is always ready to bring about this judgment. He don't have any problem doing this. Why? Because he set everything in motion for us to experience his actual blessing, to experience his presence. But when we function in these wild grape stuff, Fine, I'll just find somebody that will want to, to embrace me. Kevin. I think so many people, and just the comments I hear is the Old Testament's all about God's wrath and his judgment, but they forget the therefore in that verse. He set it all up for them. It was a choice. It was a choice. And it's the same today. His wrath is still there for us. We just... The access to the grace is amazing. Okay, so it, it's an unbelievable point. Jesus died for everybody. He didn't just die for the Americans. He didn't just die for the Africans. He didn't just die for the Italians or the Italians. He didn't just die for those guys. He died for everybody. We all have an opportunity to embrace what he's done for us. And there's a foreshadow of that uh, earlier on. In the Old Testament, God says, I actually intended to bless you. You just didn't want it because you wanted to do it your own way. And I think that's when we get in trouble, when we want to do it our own way and we reject this. Well, I don't know what this is. Spend time with him. I was talking to a waitress last night, my wife and I and some friends, and the Lord really downloaded just a simple word for me to speak into her kind of throughout the night as it was a three and a half hour dinner. (laughs) And uh, in the process I really encouraged her to just be. Maybe that sounds funny. I just wanted her to experience his presence, not by doing anything to establish anything or to prove who you are. It was just literally acknowledge his presence in your life. That's really where it starts. That's really what he wants. That's all God wants. Please just acknowledge me first. And then in that, you will walk out these things I've asked you to do. But if you don't acknowledge his presence, you don't acknowledge anything that he is in his life. And so because of that, captivity's coming. I've had it. That's really what he does. It's major timeout for his kids, <laughs> right? You go there for 70 years. Daniel talks about this. Jeremiah, I think, actually it was Jeremiah, I think, talks about it. You guys are going to be gone in captivity for 70 years. That's like, I, I know as a parent, you're like, what did you just say timeout? Yeah, like, look, I've had enough. You guys need to go and think about this. You brought this on yourselves. You deserve this. In fact, 26 through 30, you can't miss this. Here you have a word Isaiah drops, right? To the people. And he says, and oh, by the way, all of the nations are going to come and they're going to clean house. All of the nations are going to come and he's going to invade the land. 26 through 30, raises a single flag for the distant nations. He whistles for them. Well, that was really bad. From the ends of the earth, look how quickly and swiftly they come. Verse 27, he brings them in, the troops, you guys. Verse 27, it says this. 
None of them grows weary or stumbles. No one slumbers or sleeps. No belt is loose, no sandal strap broken. Verse 28 says, their arrows are sharpened, all their bowstrings strung. Their horses' hooves are like flint. Their chariot wheels are like a whirlwind. Verse 29, their roaring is like a lion's. These are all the nations, you guys. They're coming, Kevin, ready? To invade the land. They're coming to clean house, the land that I gave you, that was supposed to be for you. I want to make sure you understand how precious this land is. You go and think about it. The nations, they come, they growl, they seize their prey, they carry it off, and no one can rescue it. In verse 30, it closes out. On that day, they will roar over it like the roaring of the sea. When, when one looks at the land, there will be darkness and distress and light will be obscured by clouds. He will call for a mighty nations to come and clean house because of you living like some wild grapes. The land that God designed, Israel's still going to have. He's just going to hit a pause button and send them away for a timeout. Kevin, anything else I've missed on that that you need to clean up? <laughs> no, and the reality is he's giving this as the northern nations already seeing it, judgment coming. So he's saying it's not going to just stop there. It's going to get to the point where it's complete and only a few are going to make it. All right, so now having said all of that, okay, you got to go into Isaiah 6. And it is, I have no problem telling you, it's kind of confusing. Okay, here's why it's kind of confusing. Because it's almost like, I do this a lot. In the middle of a story, I mean, maybe I do, Rich. I just start telling another story. Oh, maybe I don't. Rich didn't respond. No, you do. <clears throat> this is what happens with Isaiah. It's like, whoa, rabbit. That's what he does. Squirrel. Who says rabbit? <laughs> Squirrel. See? See? All right, so here's this. <clears throat> Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. Isaiah is speaking into this. <clears throat> but Isaiah 6.1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died. <clears throat> in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne and his robe filled the temple. So Kevin, what it really sounds like is enter in vision. Well, I already even have it here, right? <laughs> All of a sudden you have Isaiah 6. One at the beginning. It kind of feels like he's suddenly going back and starting the book. It's, it's Paul going on his journey in the book of Acts. And then he says, hey, do you remember Acts 9? Do you remember at the, in, in the Acts 26? He reflects on his Damascus Road experience. That's really what this is. It's, it's uh, Isaiah establishing why he was given this work. It's Isaiah establishing credibility. Right. I mean, that's really what it is. And so something in his audience, as he's releasing this word, he felt like, OK, now I need to share this. <clears throat> so in the year that King Uzziah died, he says, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne and his robe filled the temple. You know, the Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians 12. Uh, Rich, you had referenced this uh, ver uh, verse for us um, in between our breaks. Second Corinthians 12 two, Paul says, I know a man in Christ. He's talking about himself who was caught up in the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. It's kind of like he had such an experience with the presence of God. I'm not really sure what happened. <laughs> I think if you were to sit down Paul and Isaiah, they'd probably have similar stories. I mean, this, think about this. He saw the Lord on a high and, lo high and lofty throne. He saw the presence of God. He experienced the presence of God. And his robe filled the, the temple. Man, what an awesome picture. Isaiah begins to release his prophetic ministry when Uzziah died. I mean, after 52 years of reigning, leprosy caused the death of Uzziah in 739 B.C. 
739 BC, here you have a prophet. All I know is, is that something kicked in. Okay, I know this time frame is a little bit different here. Everybody's time frame is always a little bit different. Would you agree, Kevin, <laughs> on their timelines? Yes, it's in this time frame. On the death of Uzziah, all I can tell you is, is that the Lord released the prophetic word. There was a death of something. Okay, I think this is really important to understand that brought life to something else. Okay, you've got to understand in the prophetic, that's really, really important. Uh, you know, when it says he saw the Lord, somebody would maybe describe this as, and I like what Wearsby said, to maybe he became unconscious <clears throat> of the outside world. And on the inner eye, this sounds weird, but somewhere the outside world is closed and he sees something that only he can see. God revealed to him. And in fact, in verse two, seraphim, or standing above. And listen to how the seraphim are described. Each seraphim had six wings. I thought about drawing this, but I decided not to. Each one had six wings. Two that covered his face. Two that covered his feet. And two that he flew with. Six wings. And seraphim were standing above the Lord, you guys. And it says, and one called to another. So he's in the presence of God. The Lord's there, high and lofty throne. The robe is filling the temple. Okay, that's a teaching in itself. Seraphim are surrounding, and here's what they're saying. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. They're saying this to one another in in praise. Kind of makes me think of the book of Revelation. You can't say this without going to Revelation 4, Kevin, verse 8. Revelation 4, verse 8. Yes, we're going to start tying in Isaiah and Revelation. It says each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes around and inside. <laughs> That'll be a fun one. Day and night, they never stop. And what are they saying? Holy, 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 Lord God, all, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. I mean, you guys, like, can you imagine what Isaiah is experiencing? He's experiencing the presence of God. The seraphim are surrounding him, and they're crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of, of hosts. It says in verse 4, the foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices. So as they're singing, as they're praising God, like things are literally just shaking and the temple is filled with smoke. If I'm Isaiah, I'm like, what in the world is going on? Woo! The temple was filled with his presence. And then I said, this is Isaiah. Amen. He should say this. Who wouldn't? Woe is me. What in the world am I doing here? For I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Hello, hello, have you not heard me describe these people? And because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, he realizes the drastic difference between his unworthiness and his worthiness. Like he understands the presence of God is so real. He's not worthy. (laughs) Job 42, verse 6. Same image. It says, therefore, I take back my words and I repent in dust and ashes. When he's in the presence of God, he feels like dirt. Peter, in Luke 5, verse 8, same mentality. You guys, when we're in the presence, when we're confronted with the presence of God, like, how do we, how do we respond Simon Peter saw this. He fell at Jesus' knees. He said, go away from me because I am a sinful man, Lord. There's something about being in the holy presence. And for some reason, the Israelites had no concept of the holiness. So God took Isaiah and brought him into the holiness, the presence of God. He says, man, and man, we can go into the teaching of unclean lips, but 
says in verse 6, And one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal. How awesome is this? And in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongues. Maybe the, uh, the altar of incense in heaven. And it's referencing in Revelation 8, 3 through 5. Like it could be the altar, like this coal. Can you imagine the altar of incense in heaven? Like the coal that's coming, he says, oh, by the way, he's bringing, I mean, there's so much there, Kevin, in Revelation 8, 3 through 5, but just know that it could be coming from this altar. And so here you have the seraphim. He's bringing it to Isaiah and it's glowing, meaning it's hot. It's a holy hot. (laughs) Hot. He says, he touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your wickedness is removed and your sin is atoned for. And here's what I want to say. Maybe you would disagree. I'll just make a proposal. I don't believe he's talking about salvation in this issue. I believe he's talking about a spiritual cleansing for a spiritual service. I like what John MacArthur says about this. I think I can't prove that. I just I'm just I'm, I'm giving you this picture. Clearly, this is Isaiah's time. Clearly, this is his calling. And I'm equipping you. I'm making you different. I'm cleansing your unclean lips from the, the, uh, the incense. The altar incense of, of heaven is now touching you. Your sin is taken care of. Why is that important? Because I need you to release the words that I'm giving you. I am giving you the words. I need you to go with a holy, purified intention. And then in verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who should I send? Like God sounding out loud. He already knows who he's sending. And he says, who will go for us? Now, look, again, when it says the word us, you can totally go there. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Maybe he's in referencing, you know, to what the Christians would call the Trinity mentality. All I know is that God says out loud, hey, who are we going to send to take care of my kids? And I believe the Lord wanted to hear a response. He wants to hear us respond to the voice of the Lord. And I love what Isaiah says. He says, here I am, send me. Verse 9, it says, uh, and he replied, go, say to these people. Like he's giving him the words even, keep listening. I want you to go to these people, keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but do not perceive Dull the minds of these people, deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their minds, turn back and be healed. Then I say, how long, Lord, until when, Lord? How long do I got to keep doing this? How long do I continue to to leave a message that they are going to get? Oh, that's that's really encouraging. That's his call. This is call in his life to share a message that he's going to get rejected. He says, Lord, how long? Until when? And he replied, until cities lie in ruins without inhabitants. Houses are without people. The land is ruined and desolate. And the Lord drives the people far away, leaving great emptiness in the land. Kevin, we're actually going back now to the captivity. You keep releasing this holy message to my people, and they're going to say no, and they're not going to get it until they're in captivity. And then he says in verse 13, but just so you know, there's a little bit of hope. 
even though I'm going to clean house, even though I'm frustrated with the, the worthless grapes and the, the wasted vineyard, he says, though a tenth will remain in the land, it will be burned again. Like the terebinth or the oak, which leaves a stump when felled, the holy seed is the stump. <laughs> there will be a faithful remnant still. Not many. A tenth will remain. A tenth will remain. The holy seed represents the faithful remnant. And I like what John MacArthur says, who will be called the nucleus, who will hear and believe. You ready for this? In the branch. They'll believe that Emmanuel, God with us, is coming. And we know that God's going to use the remnant like the Zerubbabel's, the Nehemiah's, and the Ezra's to return to the land and reestablish what God started. Okay, guys, that is Isaiah 5 and 6. (laughs) We'll continue this dialogue tomorrow. Thanks.